0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going?
1: It's going well. We are, uh, I think, into the dog days of summer. You know, I I think I said that last time, but uh, definitely into them. The last, the, the waning moments, the last warm days.
0: It's like the hard time of of year where you kind of want to break out the sweaters and in my case the pumpkin spice stuff. Uh, I'm not the only one, actually. Gravel racer Ashton Lambie has been uh, Instagramming up a storm about pumpkin spice everything. So I feel feel like I'm being seen here. But uh, this is a, it's also somehow really really hot. So while I want it to be you know wearing sweaters and stuff, it's still quite hot. My goal race is still a couple weeks away, which is uh, always kind of tough as we hit this back to school season, and I'm almost ready to kind of re restart, shift things, kind of be into the quote-unquote off-season, or at least the next season, but it feels like I'm kind of stuck still in this summer season, which I guess is not really uh, such a bad thing after all.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And on the note of back to school and planners and to-do lists, which everyone who listens to the show knows are some of my favorite things in the entire universe. um, I'm actually really excited. I've been doing a new podcast over on the Feisty Media Network. Uh, It's called The Business of Fitness, where I'm talking to just amazing women who are kicking ass in the fitness and endurance sports industry. You know, talking about podcasters and women who are working in these bigger companies, bigger businesses, um, writing, podcasting, strategizing, teaching, just all of the things. So trying to get some tips and tricks from them. You can check that out. It's on the Women's Performance Podcast for these first few episodes. So definitely uh, check that out. We'll include a link to it in the show notes if you feel so inclined. Uh, cool, and
1: that's, that's any, wherever podcasts are found. Wherever podcasts right. are found.
0: Okay. And speaking of women who are kicking ass in the endurance sport world, uh, in pretty much every facet of it, actually, today's guest definitely uh, meets those parameters, although we're not here to talk to her about her business acumen. Uh, we're here to talk to her about how she's been racing at such a high level for so many years. We have Rebecca Rush seven time world champion mountain bike and gravel hall of famer author of rush to glory emmy award winner i mean holy crap Uh, which i actually talked to her about the first thing i did was read off that bio and i was just like do you ever just want to sit back and just just rest on that just live it up and she's like absolutely not Mm -hmm. she's always just on to the next thing
1: yeah i mean if you're ever looking for you know a good documentary there's there's several you know red bull tv or, or uh You know, you can probably find them off of Rebecca's uh, website as well. Uh, But there's just some great journeys there and all different types, you know, more racy. And then some of these more adventure ones too, climbing up mountains or, or doing, you know, different adventure rides in different countries around the world
0: yeah and blood road is sort of the big one that everybody knows about that's the one that won the emmy so definitely check that out if nothing else Uh, and she's also recently started rush academy which is an online learning platform uh, for those who are uh, interested in gravel mountain biking improving their skills improving their race day strategies all of that stuff which I really love and some a lot of it centers around her gravel race Rebecca's private Idaho Uh, but a lot of it can be kind of taken and applied to every other gravel race as well. Sure, and
1: that that race, that event is coming up this weekend. I guess it's usually Labor Day weekend, so we're coming into that. As I say, dog days of summer. Uh, And and so that's I have a few people going, uh, and a few people over the years have gone and really just liked it, a really great weekend.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited. We talk about how I, I probably need to get out there one of these years. Uh, after after we chatted, she's on telling me about ultra runs in Idaho that I have to check out. So I think we might have to put Idaho on our, our list of travels here. Mm-hmm. But uh, before that, I'm going to spend some time on Rush Academy. You can find that at RushAcademy.com. It's R-U-S-C-H Academy.com and... They actually were kind enough to give us a promo code. So you can use the code Molly 15 over there for 15% off. Great. Uh, as we keep saying, we had to use Molly because consummate is just too darn hard to spell in a coupon code. And it strikes
1: me that gravel is probably a good, you know, we can learn stuff for every discipline. It's not that mountain biking doesn't have learning or road or, or any of these other things. But uh, it strikes me that gravel, a lot of times folks are coming from different backgrounds, right? So you might be coming from a very road, you know, group ride. And then now all of a sudden you're out in the back country of, of Idaho. Or, or any of these places, you know, fending for yourself. How do you carry food? Now have to carry water for many hours, uh, you know, it, you're riding for longer than you've ever ridden. It's bumpy. There's river crossing. So there's a lot of these things that maybe just your past hasn't you know exposed you to, right? You haven't had it. So I think something like this is a great fit for a lot of folks who are trying to gravel
0: yes and we also have actually two codes to get into rush academy for free so all you need to do to win one of those is share the podcast share maybe a tidbit from it one of your top learnings i know as as rebecca was talking i just kept wanting to like pause her as she was talking so i could write stuff down that she was saying because she has so many just amazing pearls of wisdom Okay,
1: so um, We're going to do this where? Uh, Where are we going to put these? We're going to do this. We're going to do
0: this over on Instagram. So share the podcast in your stories. Tag us. Tag Rebecca. And on Friday, we will pick two winners to get codes to Rush Academy. So
1: somehow you're going to share it. On Instagram stories or posts, are we okay with posts? We're totally okay okay with posts. Cool. And your favorite thing you liked about it?
0: Yep. Favorite moment from it? Just you know, screenshot the as you're listening, and then just share share a little bit of this is a tidbit or whatever.
1: September first, do we want to do, or how far out are you going with this?
0: I think Friday is September second, so September second, and then we'll announce winners on September third. Okay. There you go. Sure. Uh, yeah, and we'll have all of that information just over on our Instagram with this uh, okay. with this episode. Okay. So, okay. Uh, if, if you're wondering how to how to get it, just head over there. Um, cool. And before we get into this episode, just take a minute here to thank our sponsor, Athletic Greens. We have been using AG One for quite a few months right now, uh, and honestly, I know some people you know, say like, uh, greens powder, Uh, but the taste of this is genuinely lovely. And I know this because I've been uh, sneaking into some orange juice the past few days, because I've had some big, big runs this weekend. So I usually do orange juice before I go out on big runs. Uh, just to get some extra calories and honestly the taste not that different so it gives you that nice orange juice vibe uh, without uh, the the sugar blast from regular orange juice
1: okay and we definitely enjoy that it's got that nsf rating that third-party certification so that we know what's in it very Uh, big important consideration not just for you know olympic athletes who are maybe getting tested but just for the rest of us right who just don't want other stuff uh in these supplements
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is not just greens, by the way, this is vitamins, minerals adaptogens, superfoods, greens, etc., probiotics, prebiotics, all in one, which we also really like because, you know, we get so many questions about which supplement to take or, you know, I'm taking these 20 things and it's kind of nice just to boil it down into one thing, mm-hmm. uh, not literally boil it down, right. but.
1: <laughs> and I've said, you know, I like that A, people aren't spending hours and hours, you know, getting the next thing and the next thing and, and building this huge stack of supplements that may interact with each other or not, uh, and may not have the things in it that we want. Uh, and then also price wise, right? Like it's, 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 it's the price it is. But if you start adding up all these different supplements, probiotics and multivitamins and greens powders, you're pretty quickly quite, quite expensive on your, your daily intake. So uh, we like this because it's an all in one solution.
0: Exactly. And in times like this, where I'm training for my goal race in just a couple weeks, uh, you know, it's. It's just nice to have that little extra insurance, we'll call it, uh, when I'm doing these really big miles and feeling and a back little traveling.
1: Right, we're at races, we're at events, we're you know visiting people. Uh, so yeah, it's that where it gets harder, right? You're on the road, and I know a lot of clients are back, you know, at uh, conferences and hotels, you know, all these different. Uh, situations where you can't make that lovely salad that you like to make for for lunch.
0: Exactly. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So you've got that business trip travel packs all ready to go. No excuses. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Again, athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. All of that said, let's get into this amazing discussion all about passion and payoff with Rebecca Rush. Rebecca, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. It has been a minute. How are you?
2: Yeah, maybe many minutes, but it's
0: great to talk to you again, Molly. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Oh my gosh. I always think back to when I first met you, which was Tim Johnson's ride on Washington, which I'm just debating if it's 10 or 11 years ago, a long, long time ago. Um, And I just remember meeting you and just thinking you were just the most amazing (laughs) woman and like role model for women and just badass cyclist. Um, And you and I were uh, two of I think three women who did that ride maybe four women and it was uh that was one of like the most brutal like experiences of my life at that point and I realize now looking back that that was probably like a walk in the park for you <laughs> no that was hard I mean because it was all road it was you know a lot of road
2: riding which I am a dirt girl and with a lot of fast people Tim Johnson you know um former professional athlete, Red Bull athlete, and just a lot of really cool people. But those relationships on that ride, many of them, I I have maintained them. So it was a really quality group of
0: people. That was so good. Yeah, I think it was like 500 miles in four days. I remember that's the first time I met Alan Lim from Scratch Mm -hmm. Labs. And just, yeah, so many amazing people, so many amazing memories. I still have a picture of uh, Tim arm wrestling, uh, the other woman who was with us in a bar in D.C. at the end of the ride yeah yeah exactly so good (laughs) so uh you know a lot has happened in the past 11 years and i was looking at your instagram bio um as i was coming up with everything i wanted to ask you about and let's just quickly just kind of like recap this seven-time world champion mountain bike and gravel hall of famer author of rush to glory emmy award winner for blood road founder of the be good foundation uh rebecca's private idaho now rush academy do you ever just consider i don't know sitting back and resting on your laurels like a tiny bit uh
2: yeah that's a good question and resting on laurels no um i think like just just resting maybe resting i am resting right now And, and i'll be pretty honest with you i'm fatigued and it's been a beautiful amazing long career that's not over yet but a lot of hustle to be an entrepreneur and to be an athlete and to be in spaces where there isn't necessarily a path forward so yeah I'll be straight with you I'm I'm pretty tired and I'm taking some really downtime uh this year which is new for me um and it's a little uncomfortable um, and training a lot less. I mean, a lot of that came from, I had a, a bike crash in November um, uh, and it landed on my head, traumatic brain injury, and I'm still dealing with that. And so it has forced me, um, and everything happens for a reason. It's been a forced slowdown after decades of really going and grasping. It's It's kind of, in some ways, I'm grateful for the TBI because it's, it's made me sit still for a minute and really think about things. Um, So yeah, I do slow down. I, you know, I think I might maybe on paper seem like I'm all energetic and always doing all, you know, everything, but it's a life's work, you know, it's a long career and that I've been passionate about and, and I'm really proud of the laurels, but I look at them more as springboards and launching pads for what is next. And, you know, as an athlete, you always get the question of when are you going to retire? And and athlete is not who I am. It's what I do. So who I am is an entrepreneur and a business person and an athlete is part of it. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah that was a long answer to yeah I'm slowing down right now because I'm a little bit tired
0: (laughs) I love it and it's funny it never even occurred to me to ask you when you would be retiring because yeah I don't I I don't even feel like that's in your vocabulary (laughs) yeah
2: it's not evolving and what's next and we'll talk about some of that stuff um but yeah the athlete and sport part of it you know that is um sort of what inspires me personally. So even if I didn't form a career around athletics and being outdoors, I would still want to do those things myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. There are definitely some athletes who almost need to retire in order to make that change and to to stop, you know, training at this volume or racing at this level. Um, whereas it seems like other people are very capable of like you say, evolving, just kind of gracefully shifting it. And I'm sure it's not as graceful as it looks on the outside. <laughs> um but it seems like gracefully you know shifting where makes the most sense for them in the moment um and so it seems like you've been very good at at being able to do that um well thank you but yeah it's not
2: always graceful behind the scenes but i think every person has an arc to their career to their motivation to what inspires them from this decade to that decade so it's yeah the lens is the same for humans and Mm -hmm. i think you know they talk about oh midlife crisis or this or that those are things that happen just as a natural progression of life as Mm -hmm. you change your motivation changes your your inspiration changes and hopefully then you find something that is
0: in line with that Mm -hmm. well speaking of motivation and inspiration so what is motivating you and inspiring you right now
2: um, let's see. Well, private Idaho is coming up. This is 10 year anniversary, which I can't believe a, wow. decade, a decade of gravel. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to celebrating that because it's, it's a lot of work to put on a, a big, huge event. Um, and we've expand, expanded the platform to have training and, you know, people can compete around the world and there's a Strava challenge and all that, but I'm really proud of what we created, and I'll get a lot of energy from hosting everybody here. So I'm looking forward to getting that boost of energy from others, because as I said, I'm a little tired, so I'm kind of like, great, people are coming. They're going to get me excited, too. And that happens when you get together as a community. Um, you, You pull energy from other people, you give energy, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and then I really am feeling like I need to, there's a couple things that, um, that I need to do. I need to plan another expedition. Um, I'm hoping Mm. to head, hoping to head back to Alaska this winter. Um, that will be a little dependent on training. I'm hoping to write another book. Um, so that has been inspiring me to write more and tell more stories. Um, but how that looks yet, I'm not totally sure. So and and I'm excited about the platform you mentioned it already a little bit Rush Academy is a new um online learning platform that I put out there basically a revamp of Rush Academy which were in person um you know, ride camps, and that were kind of holistic that yes, we were riding every day, but also including some journaling and mindfulness and stretching and nutrition. And so Rush Academy is is kind of an evolution of that to put some of those resources online for people so that I can share what I know, um, with a bigger platform. So, so that's happening. And it's been really fun to kind of do some of those webinars and put those courses together. And, kind of realize it like, oh, I kind of know what I'm talking about here.
0: <laughs> um, I know what you mean. Actually, sometimes I do webinars and then I'm like going back to upload them and I like catch, you know, a minute or two of them. And I'm like, holy crap. I, I actually sound like I know what the heck I was talking about there. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
2: I'm looking forward to be trying to sit with being a little bit quiet, um, but also still having career goals and athletic goals. I, I'm just not exactly how they, how they look yet. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how they
0: look yet. I love it. Uh, and I mean, on the note of the, the in-person rush Academy, um, you know, you and I recently kind of reconnected because I was interviewing Sarah Max who yes. got into gravel because of one of your original rush academies and I mean, now at uh, 46 years old, just won the Belgian Waffle Ride at Asheville, which was amazing, and she is just like the most wonderful human being I have ever met. Um, it was just yeah. so great getting to meet her at that and and getting to know her a little bit. So, and clearly, you've you've you know created a really strong community that is both you know, wonderful humans, but also really fast humans.
2: <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. She came and that was our very first Rush Academy. She was one of the sort of guinea pigs. And we did some long days and really out there. And I was just like, wow, this girl's really strong and she's really nice. Um, but I had no idea she was gonna go on to become like a really elite racer. Um and yeah. It's so so fun to watch her progression. And I will say it's really rewarding for me to give that to other people. By no means are my goals finished, but to like see and help other people reach their goals is so fun.
0: Uh, When you mentioned Reckless Private Idaho, you are saying you're excited to have these people come around and kind of bring in that that motivation, uh, which kind of makes me laugh because so many of your original athletic palmers uh, yeah. were all these very individual like very solo efforts so do yeah. you feel like that's actually like shifted for you over the years or have you always kind of taken um energy from from being around other people and how how did that um, work with these solo yeah. expeditions
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i at at heart i'm absolutely an introvert and i do a lot of my training alone a lot of my expeditions alone um but you know it's it's neuroscientifically proven that community you know releases serotonin and releases happy feelings in our brains and i i think there's a balance for all people some people need to go out and every weekend be with a big group of people um i think many of us during the pandemic kind of learned you know many people were like I'm fine with being home alone all the time and then some people were really struggling with with the lack of community but I think everyone regardless of where you are on that that sort of spectrum um we all need to get together with people um every once in a while and even when I do my solo events you know there are you know maybe 12 other people in the event or you know you there is a sense of community and you see people at the start and the finish line and so even though they're solo things we all need to get together every once in a while and give a high five or fist bump um and kind of even coming back from a long expedition and and private idaho is this way people are like how can you call it private idaho when there's 1500 people and I haven't grown the event past that because each year as we'd grow I'd add a couple more hundred people and then I would go out on course and during the event and make sure that you still had that feeling of like being out there and you really do you like line up with 1500 people but then you go up a 1200 foot climb 1400 foot climb and everyone's separated out and there's times out there where you're just like you'll be with two or three people and be like where is everybody? And so I think that balance of alone and together is really important. And then you come back to the finish line and it was like, oh my gosh, you share what was on the course and you share the experience, even though you weren't with them in that moment. And so I think for me uh, and for all of us, a balance of both is really important. And I'm highly, um, I highly recommend alone ride time or hike time if people haven't done that um, before, because you really do get time to reflect. It's a bit of a moving meditation, but then coming better together for community to celebrate, you know, what we've all been training for. So I think there's, there's beauty in both and, you know, even the Boston Marathon, you know, there's so many people, but you're running alone in your little world, maybe with your headphones on for a lot of that. And not that I've done the Boston Marathon, but I think there's beauty in groups and solo endeavors. But definitely, I've felt like times in my life where I'm sort of down or I'm not feeling motivated, getting at least one other person or getting together with a group is is often uplifting for me. So... So I'm looking forward to private Idaho and it's 10 years. Like we're, we're having an anniversary. (laughs)
0: So cool. I love it. And I think I find that this is like even more true as the longer the event gets, you spend more time alone, but the community element, I think feels stronger and stronger because I think there's a tipping point maybe where you're almost not even racing necessarily for like the win. Even if you are racing for the win, you're still racing more against yourself, versus anyone else on course like I noticed the longer the race I do the more friendly everybody on course is the more like everyone is just like happy for you with how you do yeah rather than like competing against you you're just competing against yourself and however everyone else stacks up on the course is how they stack up
2: Yeah. The long endurance events are, yeah, they're so physically hard that you're kind of like, well, we're all in this together. There's a bit more of that supportive attitude for sure than, you know, if you were running the hundred yard dash or something. Um, Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be a little different. And that's what I love about endurance is that there is this feeling of, of togetherness, but also, um, solitude at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I really love about you know as these events get longer in something like Private Idaho, I think what I love about it is that everyone gets to have this same sense of completing the event is just as valid as you know being the winner, being in the top ten, you know, and like that feeling like where you can just be so proud that you crossed the finish line, like forget the time, like. I was saying I had, like, a bad uh, 50-mile race last month where I was I was second. Uh, <laughs> and I was, like, super grumpy about it. And then we went and stayed with friends of ours who, like, don't ru- uh They don't run. And, you know, we're talking about it, and, you know, Peter's telling them I did this 50-miler. And they're just blown away by that. And it, fin- like, it clicked. They didn't even ask how I did. Like, it didn't even occur to them that, like, yeah. a result mattered. It was more like, holy crap, you did the thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that's the power in those big, hard goals. And, you know, we saw it uh, decades ago when, like, this sort of the marathon craze of people like, could I run 26.2 miles? And and all these people got into it and still do it just to, for the completion aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So if something is long and hard enough, it really has this powerful, you know, motivating effect. And it, it makes us, yeah, less cutthroat with each other and more competing with yourself. So, mm-hmm yeah, it is the beauty of endurance events. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And what I really love about uh, one of your recent reels on Instagram about Rebecca's private Idaho uh it featured hand bikers mm. and I was like that's it immediately caught my eye because I was like, it's so cool to see you know just the inclusivity that you're you're bringing to the event. So talk to me about that. like that's just amazing. <laughs>
2: Well, it, yeah. And so I'll tell you the genesis of Private Idaho 10 years ago, I initially thought I wanted to put on a mountain bike event. I always talked about it with my husband and we'll put on something really cool in Idaho. It's going to be great. And I went to my first gravel event 10 year 11 years ago and went to another event in california levi's Grand fondo and both of those things at the same time just made me realize i could include a lot more people and make a much more festive atmosphere if if i did a gravel road event and i was not a gravel cyclist at the time i was forced to go to an event and was just like oh my god this is gonna be terrible and i just was um i I was, I had fun. I was surprised. It was like the best of road and mountain bike. It was more mountain bikey feeling than I thought it was going to be. And so the initial, you know, launch of like, well, I'm going to do a gravel road event before they were like super popular. And the reason was inclusivity. And the reason was that more, I can have more people come. Um, People are less intimidated by gravel road riding than mountain biking and the trajectory is and we've added you know shorter distances and so the initial impression was yeah i can invite more people if we can just have a bigger bike party if i do it on gravel roads I didn't know that the explosion of gravel was going to happen in the next decade. It was just really that I can show more people Idaho if if we do it this way. And that has expanded each year to, to include more people by adding a stage race, by adding shorter distances, longer distances, and then also, um, last year to really making a conscious effort to, um, add paracycling categories. Um, and we added that last year, um, same podiums, same everything. And we've expanded the paracycling this year to include upright and hand cyclists, um, and also non-binary category. And those podiums are all the same. They're all recognized the same. Um, and it's, It's not anything new or people are like, how'd you come up with that idea? It was more like, I've always wanted to include everybody Um, because everybody should ride a bike. It makes people happy. So Mm. I'm excited to do that. We have challenge athlete foundation came in this year as a a really big partner. So we're going to see a lot more um, athletes on course who um, and more adaptive athletes. And, and I have to give Meg Fisher props. She has been at private Idaho for years long before we had a specific paracycling category um, and she's been really great. And she never pushed her ass. But when we put it out there and asked her what she thought about it, she's like, yes, no one's doing this in gravel, like, let's do it. So she's been such a great um, ambassador and and sort of mentor for us in the space and really advising us of how, what are the UCI categories? How do you do it right? How do you, um, but yeah, you'll see, you'll see a lot more um, paracycling athletes this year at Private Idaho. <laughs>
0: So cool. And this is maybe more of a general question. Like you clearly just kind of keep evolving this, right? Like you could have just kept it 10 years ago, like, okay, we're going to do this one race. It's going to be this, but now you're, you know, you've added more people, you've added more categories, you know, you're, you're keeping up with like, what's important in the industry, adding the non-binary category, you know, really like opening it up to paracyclists. I mean, what, what is it about you that like is so willing and open to this just constant evolution? Because I feel like so many people just kind of get stuck in like, okay, this works. So we're going to do this. <laughs> but it feels like you keep iterating just so naturally. Have you always been this way? Um, I
2: think it's a mirror of, of just myself and what I want and what I'm interested in. And people are like, Oh, your career has evolved so many times. It's more, you know, what is interesting to me. It's like, oh, I want to do long distance cycling. Or even when I started cycling, I was doing adventure racing. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder what 24 hour racing is about. So it's, it's maintaining a curiosity, one of what's fun and what's inspiring for me personally, but then also recognizing that, um, you know, where I am and those springboard accolades that I have, I have an opportunity to shape the industry in some way. And the event is my own, so I can make it whatever I want. And yeah, more people riding just makes sense to me. So it's not like I had this marketing plan of like, okay, we're gonna do <laughs> the first year, this the second year. It's just I it's trying to trust my instincts of like, wow, Meg is here riding. We should have a paracycling cat. Why don't we have that? So it's I think it's a constant just um evaluation of like what's fun for me personally, but then also looking at the athletes and being like someone being like, Oh, we should have a kid's race. I'm like, yeah, why not? Um, and granted it's hard. You can't do everything that people asked for, but you know, sticking to the core values of why I started the event was people purpose place, you know, get people together ride with a purpose and collect everyone in a beautiful place so that they appreciate where we are in nature. And it wasn't too long ago. It was after I did the blood road ride in 2015 on the Ho Chi Minh trail um, that I really, I've acted on instinct my whole life with my career, with everything. But I really wrote down after that, I came back kind of being like, what am I about? What do I stand for? Why am I doing this? Like what? So I wrote down a personal mission statement, personal, you know, what I call navigational handrails. What is my, compass bearing. And I went through what a lot of businesses do all the time is write down mission and vision statements. But I hadn't done that for my business or myself personally. And my business and myself are so intertwined that it was kind of the same thing. But it was a cool exercise to be like, oh yeah, what am I doing Um, to kind of put together those navigational handrails? And one of the very first ones is passion equals payoff. So if I'm not passionate about it, if I'm not excited about it, um, it doesn't really work out for me. And so kind of to answer your question of how do I decide this stuff? um, A lot of it's coming from my gut, but I tried to move it from my gut and my heart by actually writing it down. And so then it's more in my mind when I'm looking at trying to make decisions.
0: Oh my gosh! Passion and payoff. I feel like that's such a good, good mantra for pretty much anyone to adapt for life. And now I'm thinking about it, even in in racing. I'm like, ooh, I like this from like a, a race tactic perspective. Well, um, for sure. Like, a,
2: you, when you choose a race, and you probably already do this, and we do a lot of these things naturally. But you're like looking at a race calendar, and you're like, ooh that 50 miler sounds really hard. That sounds kind of cool. Oh, I've never been to that place. Maybe I should go there. Like we, we hopefully are making decisions in that way. And I just had to write it all down and passion equals payoffs. Just one of them. There's five sort of things, but I, you know, when people are asking, well, why did you, why did I make this decision or, or how do I make the next decision? Maybe looking backward at the patterns that you've chosen and you know, why did you launch consummate athlete? you wanted to help people, you wanted to share. So we know all these things in our gut, but we don't often, like I said, move it to our brain. So when the next decision comes up, you're like, okay, I have a
0: plan. I I know how to make these decisions. Oh, so good. So good. Um, Okay. And I want to get like a little more granular on the gravel side of things since you do obviously have a whole academy on it. Uh, So first of all, like, let's just maybe start with like, give me the, um, elevator pitch for what is Rush Academy when someone does it online, what's, what does it encompass? And then I'm going to bug you for some tips. Yeah. So
2: Rush Academy is, is hopefully is, is developed as an online endurance sports learning hub. So, um, The idea was to have a place for all the questions people ask me on Instagram and all the things that I want to share, Um, basically a hub for a lot of information for endurance athletes. Right now it's focused on cycling and more specifically gravel cycling are some of the first classes that we have launched on there. But the idea is that there's, there's free resources there. Um, There are some online classes and courses that people can take. There's live webinars that people can jump in on that are just an hour on a specific topic. So the idea is to really give people um, tools and tips from my experience as, as an athlete for many decades, but also bringing in the network of experts that I've had the privilege to be connected to people in the Red Bull high performance space, people in, you know, neuroscience, nutrition, through goo nutrition, and just basically bring in my network, not saying that I know everything, but so Rush Academy would be a hub for a lot of those kinds of things. So for example, we have two um, online courses right now that are, you you know, you do it at your own pace. um, And one of them is, uh, is boost your gravel game. So that's kind of an intro to people who are gravel curious. They want to get into gravel. They don't know what the bikes are. They don't understand. They don't know about tires. They don't know about this or that. Um, so that's a course through with my coach, Tim Cusick also in that course is, you know, how to design your own training program if you want, nutritional program. Um, and then also the how-tos of gravel. And then the second course is mastering RPI. And that one is pretty exciting because it's a very specific mile by mile walkthrough of if you're coming to RPI, like, what are the courses like? What do I wear? What are the best tires? What is what is Rebecca's gearing? And so it's really specific to RPI. But it's really just trying, again, open up my knowledge, share it with other people. You can do it at your own pace. And the reason to do it digitally is that I can reach more people. Um, and then some of the webinars we have coming up, I'm really excited about. One of them is called Brainwashed. And it's about the effects of exercise on your brain. And I have Stephen Kotler, who wrote the... Um, the, he's from the flow research collective. So he studies flow, the state of flow, his lifelong work. And so that's one called brainwash. I'm going to do some courses on bike packing, on motivation on, you know, all sorts of good stuff. So rush Academy is that hub where I've started to build and put that on there. So we'd love to have people check it out and give me feedback. And then Molly, what courses you might be interested in, or, because I, like I said, it's mine, so I can build it. Um, But my goal is not for me to be a mouthpiece for everyone. I'll share my experience, but also bring in experts in different fields to um, in in the endurance sports space for people.
0: I love it. I love it. And what made me start thinking, as you were mentioning the course that's very specific to RPI, Rebecca's Private Idaho, what I really like about this is I would honestly take that, even if I wasn't planning on doing RPI, I would do that because I think that actually sounds like an amazing outline of how to look at a gravel event and plan for it, right? Like the few things you just mentioned there where it's like, we're looking at the course, we're talking through what tires to use. We're talking about what clothing, you know, how you would work out nutrition, how you do aid stations. And, you know, you can compile that data for any any gravel race, if you kind of look at all the different online resources, but I think it sounds like you've really put them together very neatly to give someone like a blueprint of like, basically how to kick ass in a race, um, yeah. <laughs> like how to prepare so you can kick ass in this race, um, which well, I absolutely yeah, the, love. You know,
2: preparation
0: of like, what's the elevation
2: profile? What is the weather like? Where are the aid stations? How do I, what do I carry? What, and as a professional athlete, like I've done that, you know, all my life. But for people coming to an event, they're investing and they they want to just feel confident and be like, okay, and then just have fun on the ride. So I I hope people do it. I feel like it's really cool. Um, And there's videos of the course and all that. But, yeah, it could be applicable to kind of a blueprint of how to plan for any event. What things are you going to look at um, and plan for so that you can go to the start line ready to rock?
0: Mm hmm. Uh, And I mean, okay. so on that note, like if you if you had to think of like a few tips that you would give someone who has already done, you know, a few gravel races, they're not they're not like a total gravel newbie anymore, but are maybe trying to just like elevate their game. Yeah. And that's kind of to mind. Yeah. In
2: boost your gravel game, we talk a lot about some of the, the big sort of things that, and people come to gravel. Most, a lot of people coming to gravel are already endurance athletes. So they have some experience in road or mountain and, and they've been doing it a while. So they know their bodies. They, they know how to ride a bike for the most part. There's a lot of new people coming in, but I find, um, the really the biggest mistake that people make one is understanding the gravel equipment. They're like, can I just ride a road bike? Why can't I just ride my regular road bike? And, (laughs) um, the, you can, you can ride anything you want on gravel. That's the beauty of gravel. You can ride a fat bike, you can ride a mountain bike, but this, the equipment has really caught up to, um, to kind of the terrain that we're pushing it on. So a gravel bike specifically has a slacker geometry. So it's more comfortable. Um, it's got a, space for wider tires which are really critical on gravel um oftentimes there are you know a flared handlebar so you get it's kind of like trying to combine a mountain bike and a road bike um because you're riding a rigid bike on bumpy terrain so a lot of the adaptations that are made in the equipment are to make it more comfortable So if people are like, I'll just ride my road bike, you can, you're just gonna be really uncomfortable and you're not going to feel in control. Um, which is scary. People want to feel in control. The, so understanding what is a gravel bike, um and where it can go. The exciting thing is that they're also um they're also built to a higher spec than strength spec than a road bike because they're meant to be bouncing over things and people are taking their gravel bikes on single track trails. So make sure that whatever gravel bike you're looking at is more closer to a mountain bike spec as far as strength. Um because you don't want to push your road bike, you know, onto single track and all that because it's just not built for that. Mm-hmm. The, The really big thing where I find that people, the number one thing that people make the mistake on is tires and tire pressure. And there's this old school thought that the higher your tire pressure, the faster you go. And that's not true in any um In any kind of riding. (laughs) Yeah. But it's especially not true if you're riding on dirt surfaces, mountain biking, or gravel riding. And so there's a great chart that Envy has. You don't have to run Envy wheels, but there's a great chart that you can look at your rim width, your tire width, and your body weight. And it gives you a starting point for gravel, for mountain, for road. And most people run too high a pressure. And that just makes for a really uncomfortable, unstable ride. And then people were like, I'm scared. I don't like gravel riding because I feel out of control. Most times that's, that's tire pressure
0: for people. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And the other thing I would say is the touch points. So again, you're riding a rigid bike on bumpy roads. So anywhere that your body touches the bike, your pedals, your seat, your hands, um, that needs a little extra attention for a bumpy road. So you might have some, uh, padding under your bar wrap that gives a little bit take dampen some of the vibration. I wear a little bit, um, larger shoe with a really good insole for, for gravel riding. And I wear a mountain bike shoe. Um, and I put a really comfy insole in there. And then of course, saddle choice, Um, shorts, those are all really important choices so that, so that it's comfortable. So if people are hurting, you're, you're kind of not doing it right with the equipment. It's not you. Most people think, oh, it's just me. Um, It's, it's typically that you haven't made the right equipment selection.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I'm always telling people like you have the right to be comfortable on the bike. And I think especially, Mm -hmm. especially women, we're just so used to being like dealing with discomfort. I think yeah. that we're just so willing to be like, well, I guess this is how it is. And you're like,
2: no, it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> if you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling out of control on the bike. Like you, you can't, you don't have any control. It's a couple of things. It's, um, first and foremost, it's probably equipment tweaks. Um, and then second, just go get a lesson or a class so that you do feel comfortable. I'd say wh- one big thing, I'll, you know, a third thing that I'll say is, is, many cyclists um, on gravel bikes aren't comfortable descending in their drops. And that's how you're Huge. supposed to descend <laughs> because you have more control, but especially if you come from mountain biking, it's real weird to get down there and get in the drops. So um, that would be the third thing I'd say is getting, getting comfortable, getting used to being in the drops when you're descending. Cause it's a lot safer and a lot more control.
0: Yep. Yep. And I know a lot of women struggle with it, not just women, but I know a lot of women struggle with it only because we feel like our hands are too small to like grab our brake levers like comfortably in the drops. And it's from, I'd say for most women, cause I've, I've definitely claimed that before and it's actually like not that true. It's just that I'm like nervous about doing it. So I say it, but really it's actually like just an awkward feeling to get used to rather than it's like awkward. an actual physical issue.
2: Yeah, it's awkward. And if it is a physical issue, those little brake levers can be adjusted. You can bring them in for your hand. So that, yeah, (laughs) go back to the point that it's not just you like ask questions of like, oh, can these move in? Yes, they can. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, can I try different saddles? So there's there's a little bit of trial and error. And that's a lot of what Rush Academy is about is people just don't know, you know, Um, and they don't know that they can change their brake levers to be for the size of their hand, which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool.
0: Love it, love it. Uh, okay, you mentioned descending in the drops. Any tips for climbing? Since you did, in fact, mention that RPI does start with uh, a bit of a a bit yeah. of a climb.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, climbing is all, and this is where it comes a a little bit more holistic. A lot of climbing is, is a position where you can breathe. So often we're squished down. And, and if, if you're asked to take a deep breath, you know, just sitting here and say, okay, take a deep breath. Everyone's going to sit up tall and pull their shoulders back and breathe in. So if we, if we're not climbing, we want to breathe. And so having a more upright position, really thinking about, you know, taking the deep breath, breathing in, um, and, and I've something I've really been working on the last three years is, is, um, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. So, um, that's another in Rush Academy, we talk a lot about breath work and the power of, of training your breath and really, um. It takes practice. It's really hard to breathe through your nose when you're yeah. doing physical exercise. But what happens when you practice? It just like training your muscles. You start training your um, nasal capacity to be bigger. Your and your nostrils won't get bigger, but you know. <laughs> I <was> gonna ask. <laughs> no, it's just your airways. You train your airways. You train your auxiliary muscles to pull air in. You train your diaphragm, which is a muscle, to pull air in. So focusing on breathing for climbing. I'd say is a really, a very powerful place to go. So um, if people are thinking about that, and you can just start with trying to breathe on your warmups in through your nose, out through your mouth, and you'll start to develop those airways and basically make them bigger. So you can get more air, <laughs> but relax upper body. You know, you can really start there being tense and being tight while climbing just means you're, you're closing off, you know, your airways, your, and and you're putting energy into muscles in a place where you don't really need to put energy into, put the energy in your legs, the tightness in your legs, and then opening up the upper body and really relaxing the
0: face. Um, and again, all those airways and shoulders and everything. Oh, so good. Um, and I noticed you did a post on this fairly recently. Um, And I know when this comes out, we're still going to have plenty of summer left. I always think like by August, I'm like, oh, everybody already knows how to race in the heat. But I don't (laughs) think that's true. Uh, So (laughs) tips for racing in the heat, because we're going to have it till I mean, geez, at this point in the world, like mid October before it starts cooling off, like. Yeah.
2: yeah. And you're, even if it's cool
0: temperatures,
2: you know, obviously our body temperature really elevates when, when we're training. Um, y- you'll notice that you like you go out on a ride and you're freezing and you put on like five jackets. And then in 10 minutes, you're just like, oh, I'm too hot. I wore too many clothes. So thermoregulation is a really important factor in performance. And you see it in the Olympics and all these athletes trying to stay cool in hot environments um so there's there you can cool your body from the outside and that that's just simple things like you know at a at an aid station you might have ice that you stuff into your sports bra or put around your neck in a in a sock or something um having co- your drinks cooled if you can um uh, but also s- sort of on the fly trail and something i learned from uh andrew huberman who's got an amazing podcast is that our, the The palms of our hands, the soles of our feet, and also our forehead have different cells that will quickly thermoregulate. So putting your hands or feet in a cold stream, putting them, you know, if there's a pile of snow, grabbing snow and putting it in your hands or on your forehead. And you think of like your grandmother used to put a cool compress on your forehead. Um, she may be new, that all of this, but your skin is actually different in those three areas to very quickly cool your body. Of course, you can cool your body other places, but the, the palms of hands, soles of the feet and the forehead have special cells that like immediately cool you faster. Um, so it's a really interesting concept. So anytime you're, if you're out in a hike, a mountain stream, sticking your hands right in there, you maybe don't want to take your shoes off because you're riding, but sticking your hands in there, getting your buff or, you know, cold and putting it on your head,
0: um, is definitely going to cool you down quickly. Oh, so good. And it's funny, this actually reminds me of a topic I asked you about probably a decade ago and it's the flip side. And I asked you, I think like what emergency stuff you bring with you on rides. And you had told me back then, that you actually brought like just one of those little clear like plastic shower caps because if you got really cold you could put it over your helmet or under whichever and Mm -hmm. it would be like it would actually keep you you warmer so it's it's sort of the the reverse of that and let me tell you it's been like a decade since we talked about that and I still tell everyone that tip (laughs) (laughs) I I
2: bring I have a shower cap and surgical gloves I mean that I have those in my riding kit just because they really are emergency cold weather um, things that you can put your surgical gloves under your riding gloves put your shower cap on Um, I usually put it under my helmet so that it doesn't fly off Um, but yeah those
0: those kinds of things work (laughs) I love it. I just had to bring that up because it's something that I think about so frequently. (laughs) I'm like, you're just my go to expert for any thermoregulation, hot or cold, apparently. Oh, so good. Um, okay, and the other big thing I wanted to talk about, uh, well, as we're recording this, we're actually heading into a big, what we keep calling the bucket list race weekend, because Breck Epic starts, Leadville's happening, Quebec single track experience is happening. These are just like the big races for a lot of people that we work with. Um, you've done so many huge, huge challenges over the years. How do you deal with like pre-race nerves, both like in the week ahead and then like on the start line for these like... Like bucket list events for you,
2: yeah. And Leadville is a good example. I mean, I've done Leadville, I think, eight times. I've won it Oof. four times. Um, and and I sort of, I had a little bit of a, a change. And you know, the first year I went, I had zero information, no course profile, no. I mean, basically like drew and taped a little course profile on my map. Um, I hadn't done any recon, and and. I know people now they have a lot more information and access to, to information. Um, so that was, you know, the jitters for that were a little bit of the first year was like fear of the unknown and like, well, I don't really know what this course is like. So the way that I handled it that year is basically I did do that little Sharpie profile on, on my top two, just so I knew, I want to just know where the big climbs were. So I could just rest assured, like, okay, I'm on the third biggest climb. Okay, I'm on the fourth biggest climb, and it's about this big. So even if you can't course recon or do anything else, um, knowledge is power. And often, like a big, scary event, we think, oh, I just don't want to know it's out there. Um, (laughs) But mentally, it's just great to know, okay, I'm on the last hill or, or whatever. So so that's how I handled it the first year, the The second, third, fourth years, you know, had a lot more course knowledge. And so there, I knew how to prepare. And, and again, knowledge is power. And I will say standing on the start line, there's there's a difference between fear and anticipation. There, are they're They're very similar as far as the neurochemicals that are released. And fear can be powerful unless you let it go too far. And so I really try to flip the conversation of like, you're excited about the event. Your hands are sweating. Your heart rate is elevated. That's not necessarily fear. It's anticipation because you're doing something that you big that you committed to. And so just kind of reframing it in your brain of like, I get to do this. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. Isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. So that's better than just like, oh my god, I freaking out. What what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? And the what if happens, a a way to think about it is um is one is preparation. Okay, what if I flat? Okay, well, I've learned how to change a flat and I'm going to change it. Um what if I crash? Okay, well, I'm going to try not to crash. I'm going to be, you know, in control on the downhills. What if somebody beats me? Well, okay. You know? You know? <laughs> like if they're better than you then and you perform at your best, like for your second, you know, if you perform your best and someone beats you, someone beats you. Um, so there's a lot of fears that we put in our mind that are just what I try to do when I have those is I ask myself, okay, what is the likelihood of it happening? Um, what am I gonna do about it if it does happen? You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the likelihood it's going to happen? And what am I going to do about it if it does happen? And I've looked at all my expeditions that way from Alaska to Leadville. It's like, okay, what am I afraid is going to happen in Alaska? I'm afraid I'm going to freeze to death. I'm like, okay, what's the likelihood of that? Well, pretty high if it's minus 40 degrees and you're sleeping outside. So what am I going to do about it? I'm going to bring this equipment, that equipment. I'm going to prepare and sleep outside and practice it. So, um, we all have our own dialogue in our head and look, if you show up to a race and you're like, Oh, I didn't train enough. I'm not prepared. If you show prepared, it's pretty awesome. You're like, I did the work. You know, if someone beats me, someone beats me, but I know I did the work. That's a great feeling. We Mm -hmm. don't always show up to the start line fully prepared because life gets in the way something happened. So if you show up at the start line, you are where you are. So you're as prepared as you are. And that may be a shift in your expectation of like, I'm going to win to, I want to finish. I want to do my best, not where I am. So meet yourself where you are. Um, If you didn't train like a professional athlete and even professional athletes show up where they just kind of didn't do all the work, then accept it and be like, I still get to be here. This is a great training day for the next thing that I'm going to do. And so it's really a lot of reframing in your mind. That's all that it is because you're standing on that start line with what you have physically. um, And I think where people really don't meet the mark is they don't show up mentally with the right toolkit
0: Mm -hmm. oh love it love it um and okay now I have to ask with Leadville you've won four times do you think it's scarier or like more nerves when you've already won something versus when you haven't won (laughs) it yet
2: It's a different pressure and a different expectation because pe- the first year, yeah, nobody knew me. And there was like, who's that person? And I was like, sweet. Um, yeah. Year two, three, four. There's a target on your back. So there's different kind of pressure. People are watching you. They're following you. Um, and again, that you just have to have your own self-confidence. Um, it definitely changes the expectation from the outside, but hopefully it doesn't change your motivation from the inside. And honestly, what you can't control is what's going on outside your body. What you can control is what's going on inside. And so that's where it does become maybe a little more challenging um, emotionally. Uh, and and you see a lot of athletes, they've won the Olympics, they've done this, they've done I mean, think about Michael Phelps, showing up for his competitions, he has to be more resilient internally, every time he goes, because people are like, oh, you're gonna win. And so then if he doesn't, it's like, oh, what happened? So there is pressure and learning to deal with that pressure and changing your internal dialogue is, that's why, you know, for me, I have so much respect for athletes with longevity, because anyone can go win once, but to come back repeatedly when the expectation changes, when your own expectation changes um, that's hard. And I think as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, people evolving as athletes, our expectation changes. And it you know, I couldn't go win Leadville today. You know, I'm not prepared for it. And, you know, everybody like, I would sport.
0: put money on you, but that's
2: <laughs> I mean, if I wanted to, I, I feel I could train for it because I have a lot of knowledge and experience. But um, you know, the expectation of yourself changes. And it's not to say you don't have high, hard goals. You don't have amazing goals. Um, but they have to be realistic with what you, how you're preparing and what you're motivated for.
0: Mm -hmm. So good. Um, and the, so the last thing I want to actually touch on is something that's completely almost opposite of all of this racing stuff. Uh, you just, uh, you just got to go on a cool little bike packing adventure where the theme was, um, make bikepacking punk again which of course I had to hone in on because I was like <laughs> oh my gosh um and this is uh this is with and I'm sorry I didn't put her last name in here uh Alexandra so you're gonna have to give me her information but um just the idea that bikepacking you know it's gotten very trendy in the last couple of years obviously and there's <laughs> a billion and one fancy bike packing accessories and things we can attach to our bikes and everything is now made for bike packing and then you have to buy your other camping stuff and now your hiking stuff and your lightweight hiking stuff and like <laughs> uh you know then your canoeing stuff <laughs> you know you have somehow like 10 pairs of like 10 sleeping bags for like 10 different types of activities um yeah yeah so uh how was that trip and do you have a couple of uh pieces of gear that you that were like mvps of the trip that are just like normal camping things
2: yeah i mean i so i got to do a ride um it was last summer but a film just came out about it that we did it there's a series on outside um called Connections. And it's a little short six-part series of a couple minutes each. And the ride was a six-day ride through my home state of Idaho with with Alexandra Houchin and Sophia Jaramillo. And I wanted to ex- basically explore my backyard. And so I invited a couple friends on this bike packing trip. Um, and with the goal of just really exploring, you know, there wasn't necessarily like we had some big days, but we weren't racing. We were having a good time um, and really got to spend time with both those women and get to know them. And Alexandra, for anyone who doesn't know her, she's, um, she's Ojibwe. She's from Minnesota. She's done a lot of bikepacking. She's won the Tour Divide and, you know, won a bunch of big bikepacking events. Um I guess under the radar. She doesn't do social media. She just goes and, and rides because she loves it. And she's often I think when she did Tour Divide, she wore army boots and jean shorts. You
0: know that's what I know her from. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's her. That's her. Um, and I think what's great about Alexandra is she's had some really great biking success. Um, really just by having grit and just trying hard and not necessarily being able to afford or have all the right equipment. Um, but she had a bike and, you know, she's, she's fantastic. And I think she's a great reminder of, um, just run what you brung, you know, that we don't. And like, when we talked about gravel bikes, if you don't have a gravel bike, that's fine. Go do a gravel event on whatever bike you have. Um, because that's the beauty of gravel is you can, you can ride a tricycle. You can ride anything. Yeah. You Um, might be walking a little more for parts of it, but you can still do it. You can do it. And I, you know, when I first started mountain biking racing, I sucked so badly at mountain biking and my first rate for a lot of my races, um i would run all the technical sections i just get off and run cuz i could literally i wasn't a very good rider um and then on the easy parts i just like ride my face off and then jump off and run the technical stuff and i won races that way um and i didn't know what i was doing and i didn't have all the right stuff and it doesn't matter and that's one of my second navigational handrails is that um is that it, we talked about it a little bit with passion it, that if you want something And you don't need all the right stuff. Passion is enough to go for it. And Alexander's a really good example of that. And so, yes, we're in this consumer world where everybody's got to have, you know, a gigantic sprinter van and all the right stuff and all this expensive things. But I will just say I'm a multi-sport athlete. Um, You know, I I run and I camp and I cross country ski and I use my same Velocio rain jacket for skiing and cycling and hiking and whatever. Um, So one, look for pieces of equipment because this stuff's expensive. So invest in good quality and equipment that can Um, sort of blur the lines and that you can use for lots of different things. Because, yeah, you don't need five different jackets for five different activities. You know, got a good rain jacket and use it for everything. Um, But Alexandra is a great example of that. Uh, And, yeah, she wears cotton T-shirts. She wears whatever. I mean, performance fabrics do help, especially if you're going to be out in the elements. Um, But she's strong and hardcore enough that she's just like, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to wear giant hoop earrings. Cause that's what I do. And, you know, um, and I think it's a good reminder that one, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be prepared for everything that we do, you know, perfectly prepared. I will say be prepared navigationally and safety wise if you're going bike packing um, just to take care of yourself. And that's the thing I see people buy all this fancy equipment they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to navigate. And they think they can call somebody on their cell phone to get a pickup. And so get an inReach, get a satellite communication device, learn how to read a map. Um, And that's what I'll cover in bikepacking on um, Academy is like, yeah, how to put the bags on your bike. Like those are all good things. But first and foremost, make sure you're safe and make sure you know where you're going. And that, I love that all these people are finding the outdoors right now. Um, but it scares the hell out of me that people aren't prepared out there. And I'm an EMT. I can't tell you how many rescues we go on where somebody's e-bike battery ran out and they don't know what to do. Or oh, somebody no. went on a 25 mile run and they brought one water bottle and no map. And so don't, don't be that statistic. <laughs> you know, I don't want to lecture people, but the first thing, equipment you need to get for your adventures is um, navigational education and a communication tool, satellite communication tool. And then you can get all the fancy stuff.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. So good. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find Rush Academy, Mm -hmm. all the good stuff.
2: Um, all my stuff is under my name, RebeccaRush.com, R-U-S-C-H. Rush Academy is Rush Academy. Um, RPI, Rebecca's Private Idaho, but they're all linked up together. Um, you can find them there. I've got a little newsletter. So if you want to get some of that education and and some of that freebie stuff, I'm happy to share. Um, yeah, and and connect with me online. It'd be fun. And for those coming to Private Idaho, I'll see you in a few weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So close. So close.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. It was so great catching up with you. It has been far too long and let's not go, uh, you know, 10 more years before we get to do an event together again. And Molly,
2: you're always invited on uh, an adventure in Idaho. If you want to either a DIY one that we plan ourselves, or if you want to come to Private Idaho and check it out one year, uh,
0: let's make it happen, please. Right, we'll cool. be doing a, a loop of the U.S. in the next year. Or so, oh, sweet, yeah. We'll let me know, come through. Ah, so good, awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rebecca. This has been amazing. So fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.